Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as writes on economics and politics for Guardian Australia. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Greg Jericho. Hi, Steve. Greg, it is wonderful to be speaking with you. Thank you so much for making the time. Can I start by asking, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? <laughs> um, it's it's amazing how often, um, probably not so much now, but um, in the you know three four years ago when I started uh, really writing um, for both the ABC and Guardian, how. Um, many people only knew me as Grog's Gamut, um, <laughs> and and it's it's kind of odd because Grog's was my or Grog was my nickname back when I was at university in in the early nineties, and then you know you move move on and uh, the nickname kind of died out because uh, I wasn't around people who I was at uni with, and but now I'm. Um, for example, when I'm in the Guardian office, uh, generally on Grogs, uh, <laughs> most, of it, most of them uh, newbie first uh, through Grogs gamut. So, um, yeah, the the whole thing um, uh, of oh, I know you from the internet uh, is a real thing, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm quite uh, happy for people to call me Grogs. That's that's fine. <laughs> for the longest time, it was a real big secret who you were too. Yeah, um, when I, I started my blog uh, in the middle of 2008 um, and it wasn't until um, September 2010 that uh, I was known as, as Greg Jericho or people knew who Grog's Gamut was. I mean, people, people did know. I mean, I told people, even people I met just through Twitter, who I actually met and, and chatted to, you know, I didn't sort of uh, yeah. meet them and not tell them who I was. But uh, <laughs> in terms of my online presence, I, I um, kept uh, true to the pseudonym um, throughout all that time. Did you find that that uh, was stressful? Because I can think of at least, well, at least one actual real media organisation invested time in trying to find out who you were. Um, it, it wasn't stressful... Uh, until the Oz started actually doing that. Um, because uh, just to, I guess, give a bit of background, when I started my blog in 2008, you know, it, it was read by, oh, I think at times up to maybe five people. <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was um, really was family and friends and, and um, that was it. And I was kind of, I was kind of happy with that. I really wasn't you know um as anyone who's started a blog you, you're never quite sure if it's going to be one of these things that uh, you write about three posts and then it kind of just lies there on the internet dead and <laughs> um moldering um and so i didn't I, I wasn't all that um eager to to publicize my work until after a month or so, I started feeling like, yeah, I'm getting into the swing of that. And so I, I did provide links on, on political blog sites like um, the Crikey's Poll Bludger, which I commented on. 
but but even then, you know, throughout it wasn't until I joined Twitter in the middle of two thousand and nine that my readership broadened out to people beyond really those who I didn't actually know in real life. And mm. and back then though, but uh, in two thousand nine there really wasn't any great care about who I was. Um, it wasn't until in 2010 during the election when I started getting some traction um, for my criticism of, of the media coverage of the election uh, that journalists really started getting a bit annoyed about that and wanting to be able to find out who I was basically so I could they could criticise me rather than my posts, I guess. Yeah. And that's... Well, I guess at that point it's got to be a case of, well... Not if I covered my tracks, but am I comfortable with the, you know, the Oz are renowned for digging stuff up, true or otherwise. Um, no anxieties at that point? Um, oh, yeah, there was plenty of anxieties because I was working as a public servant. Um, I was Even comfortable better. with my, um, that what I'd written on was within the code of conduct as it was then. Um, sure. But, um, you know, anyone who's seen um, media organisations decide to, to put someone under the microscope and pick on them, it, it can get pretty ugly. One of, one of the good things about uh, that, that did, uh, I think, assist me at the time was um, I hadn't even joined Facebook then. Um, <laughs> so there was no ability for them to kind of trawl through the Facebook feeds and friends of friends and yep. and somehow get stuff on me because I, I didn't have any there was no sort of online presence as Greg Jericho except except my work presence and um, and that was purely there were a couple sort of um, uh, government department things where I'd been my name was on a tender as the person in charge of it and things like that but other than that I was sure. I was I was really there, there wasn't any presence and certainly there weren't any photos that they could use. And so yep. they were kind of limited really, which was, um, I think quite fortunate because we know now, or even, even then, but certainly now, as soon as anyone does anything, whether they do a question on Q and A or something, they go straight to, <laughs> straight to Facebook, straight to Instagram and try and find anything. And, um, I was, I was, I was wise in my, at the time I, I did have that sort of sense of, oh, I don't want to have, you know, Facebook in my life. And the, I was a, not paranoid, but, you know, just wasn't really uh, invested in that whole Facebook kind of thing. And uh, yep. um, whereas now I'm on it, of course, with all the security privacy settings, but uh, <laughs> but I still think it was it was in my favor at the time when they were looking for stuff that they, sure. they, could, they couldn't even put a photo of my face on, on their their newspaper site because uh, there weren't any. Well, that, man, it, it sounds it sounds almost espionage-ish. I know that there was nothing untoward about it. As you said, you know, you were comfortable within the code of conduct that the stuff you'd written was, was all okay and those sorts of things. Um, but it, you are Australia's Jason Bourne. <laughs> Well, I, I I didn't lose memory of who I was. It was just that uh, <laughs> no one else. I mean, it was it was um, there was a a lot of uh, crap going on behind the scenes. Um, the 
the department that I worked with was getting very much pressured by the Australian to provide comment and to tell them what they were doing, were they going to discipline me, um, what was their response. There was They were ringing up um, senators on both sides and you know, ministers on both sides, trying essentially to make it into a thing. And the good thing yeah. was my... The department I worked for, they gave them nothing. They said, "Hey, it's a, it's an employee-employer um, issue, and it's got nothing to do with you." And 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 I know um, Senator Kate Lundy at the time was God bless her. was a private. I don't know what that means. Oh, <laughs> if you like, I can search the <laughs> Not sure why. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that uh, just got uh, Siri all excited, which is odd because it was sitting over the other side of the desk. So someone's listening in, I think. <laughs> yeah, Jason, right. Yeah, not Jason at all. Um, yeah, Kate Lundy at the time, she was uh, private um, secretary. Uh, yeah, some uh, private secretary to the PM and, and the department at the time that I was in was Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. And they were after her for a comment. And she knew what they were after. And so she gave them nothing. And yeah. And, uh, so there was no, they were trying to get a story going that, um, but it, it really didn't happen in the way I think they they wanted it to. Um, because for a start, I didn't lose my job, um, <laughs> and I Gosh. think I my suspicion is that they would have loved that to happen because then they could have uh, not only ensured that that happened, but then they could have quickly switched sides and made it into this terrible thing that the government is silencing its critics or something like that you know it was just it wasn't a good it it certainly wasn't a fun uh a fun time um and um you know there's still i still get uh, occasionally tweeted by people telling me that i was you know um i shouldn't uh i've got no right to complain about things given i was a public servant who was sacked and all that which you know oh, wasn't sacked at all and in fact oh. wasn't even really disciplined uh, because um the department had no problems with anything that i was writing um which is greatly different to if i was a public servant now the rules have have massively changed um but at the time i was, I was basically given the all clear which which strikes me as ludicrous now i i don't work in the public service i've only at the, oh, i think maybe once i've worked for a government organisation, and and that was pre-Twitter and social media and stuff, Um, it it strikes me as obviously a bad thing, but something that just, it doesn't seem even close to reasonable that an employee in that context, a public servant in their private life, can't be critical of the government of the day. Yeah, it's... When I was working there, the... There was hardly anything really in terms of guidance, and and before I even wrote my blog, I, I chatted with a few few mates who I work with and told them I mm. want to do this, and I said, "Do you would I do you reckon I'd be able to?" And we we kind of tried to um, work out whether or not it would be, and um, there's there's nothing wrong with being um, partisan if you're a public servant you're allowed to be a member of a political party um you're you're allowed to campaign for a political party generally the rule is during an election if you're going to actually actively campaign you take take leave during that four week period or so 
Um, but other than that, you're you're allowed to do these things. All the apolitical nature relates to is the carrying out of your duties, and and my and the, the real um, red flag that that I was concerned about when I was writing was to make sure I, I never wrote about anything that actually concerned the work that I was doing. Now, at the time, I worked sure. in in the film branch of the the arts department, and. So that just meant I didn't write about uh, film policy, really. Um, <laughs> um, I did write occasionally about Australian films, and generally that was to to say, here's a great Australian film coming out, you should all go see it. Um, the Walk Boy, for example. Yeah, and... and yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and, but the what it's become now is that the government, for a starter, just... Um, weak need and spineless when it comes to criticism and they cover it they couch it all in terms of oh it's all perception it's the perception of of um of bias that is the concern we're not saying that you are biased we're just saying mm. the things that you've written are such that no one could actually um have confidence that you are unbiased and it's Gosh. one of the the problems i always have with um, aspects of being apolitical in the public service and people say, oh, you're biased, you hated Liberal or you loved Labor. And, you know, I was, I was a public servant under Howard and, and under Rudd and um, Gillard. Mm. And I actually, I, I can remember chatting with, a, with a, a guy I worked with who actually was an advisor under, under, for the Liberal Party um, for a time. And we were chatting about this, and we were chatting about it during uh, when the Godwin Gretsch thing happened. Oh, yes. And we're actually, I was saying to him, I don't know how I could actually be biased in in what I do. You know, my my job was you know reading um, annual reports and and funding agreements and making sure that the people who were giving money were doing what we said they should do and and carrying out. Um, policy and programs that uh, had been set by the government and, you know, and writing letters on behalf of the minister and providing briefing. I, I couldn't think of anything where I'd sort of say, okay, now I'm going to do something in a way that's going to be pro-labor or it just really, basically the, the main way you can be apolitical is if you start doing things like Godwin Gretsch and start leaking to the opposition. And, and <laughs> But for the most part, most public servants, what they're doing is, is, isn't even policy related it's just programs where you're just employed to make sure the people who are getting money are spending it in the way that they're supposed to and and yeah i think every you know you get uh, commentators getting all in a huff about um public servants being oh they're all labor voters and everything but at the end of the day, they're really just employees who go along and do their job. And like employees for a lot of organisations, there might be times to think, well, geez, this is a stupid um, job I have to do today. But you do it because <laughs> it's your job. You don't want to get sacked. I mean, it's. I think uh, people get a little bit too overwrought about perceptions of bias or the fact that, oh, you know, you public servants are trying to undermine the government. It's like, well, how? It, it really... I, you know, not that I was wanting to. I just couldn't think of any way I would have been able to, even if I had wanted to, other than actually, um, you know, divulging confidences and leaking, which was yeah. which 
personally, I, I think it is is completely wrong, and certainly public servants have, have, should not be doing such things. So, yeah, it's it's an odd thing, but the um, governments, and it's not just the federal government; it's it's local governments. Um, yep. ACT government has recently become very draconian in what public servants are allowed to tweet about. And it's it's just stupid, really. Um, and yeah. because what it means is most public servants, or they they keep tweeting, they keep um, you know having a social media presence. They just use pseudonyms and uh, are very careful about um, letting anyone know who they are. And yeah. you think well, and and that was the reason why I used a pseudonym for a start because I wanted to make it clear there was no way I was speaking as Greg Jericho, a public servant or that anyone would think I'm speaking on behalf of the department or um, have any sort of link to it. It was basically, this is this different persona. I'm These are just my pure personal opinions on things. Mm. And even there, you know, when I was writing as in my blog, um, because I was writing... Um, uh, most of the time I was blogging, it, it was, in fact, all the time I was blogging, it was, there was a Labor government. And I was, I was sometimes a bit hesitant to criticise areas because I, there was a bit of a sense of, oh, um, you know, these are the people I work for. But, yes. you know, it's, it is a case of if you've got nothing to do, you know, I had nothing to do with asylum seeker policy. Um, and, you know, I... I I think so long as you uh, make your opinions known in a in a uh, a way which is is not abusive, um, I can't see any great problem with it. So long as um, I think where it gets a bit of a, an, an issue is when you almost use your position, where you're almost making it clear you are a public servant, and I am here criticising. Um, government policy in another area, whereas I think most most people they're, they're not really doing that. They're just I'm just a a person with some views that I'm tweeting about on Twitter as I'm watching Q and A. You know, it, it's not a yeah. it's not some sort of a sense of oh I'm writing an op ed where I want to you know brand it as public servant criticizing the government. Most most public servants when they're home they're not thinking of themselves like that. They're just they're just people. Yeah, what's for dinner? Yeah, um, and but ironically, because of my concerns about the APS code of conduct, that's probably one of the reasons why I achieved any sort of um, influence, I guess, because mm -hmm. um, in that period in '09 and '10, you know, there were there were lots of people on Twitter and and writing blogs criticizing. Uh, journalists and and it was a, a time where because Twitter was kind of all new and funky journalists were quite willing to debate things and you know I had long you know hour long sort of debates with journalists you know the the entire press gallery at times it seemed and the the main reason that they did um, engage with me was because I was polite um, right. whereas others would you know, abuse them and tell them to get stuffed. And, you know, whereas I knew I, I couldn't do that because I was always under the belief, well, it's a bit like if I'm a public servant and I go out to the pub on a Friday night and I get into a fight with someone or, you know, I'm thrown out because I'm 
yelling racist abuse or something at someone, well, that's that actually is an issue that uh, can cause you to lose your job. Um, you're expected to behave with some degree of decorum when you're in the public. And I was thinking, well, this is a public forum. If uh, anyone was to find out as a public servant, they go through my tweets and it's full of fuck off and get stuff, you dickhead and all that to all the journalists. That's going to look pretty bad. So as a result, and purely because I thought, you know, that's a stupid way to interact anyway, but because I was kind of always in that mindset, journalists were always willing to respond to me because they knew I wasn't just some crank just abusing them on Twitter, which gets very tiring. And so as a result of that, uh, when I actually did start really um, going in forceful with my criticism during the, the 2010 election, by then journalists who had, who had engaged with me for six or seven months on Twitter, they knew I wasn't just, even though they didn't know who I was, they knew I just, I wasn't just some, you know, crank who just, you know, was there just because he hated journalists or anything. They actually kind of respected uh, my, my opinion in that sense, because they, they had debated with me and, and knew that I wasn't someone who just went straight for the abuse or anything. So now that you're on the outside and employed, in fact, to share your opinion on politics and, and those sorts of things, what's your read on the outcome of the, air quotes, success of the most recent federal election? Has that um, signed the death warrant to, to Malcolm, Turnbull, Malcolm Turnbull's prime ministership? Um, well, it ain't off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it, it's all on his head. He, he's the one who, who wanted the double dissolution. Um, it was his call. And to me, the one thing that might um, save him, at least for a while, is if he can get the legislation through a joint sitting. But I don't even know if they will even be able to pass the legislation in order to be... Yeah, you know, I don't even think it'll get to that stage. I, I just, I think he's, that was kind of the bare minimum to actually be able to get a majority when you have a joint sitting. If you can't do that, you've really failed, um, even if you have, you're still got the government in the lower house because that was the, the prime reason for doing it. Um, you know, they've got 76, so take away the speaker and, you know, the, the, it's, it ain't great, and Turnbull is not a very good politician. That's the one thing that uh, perhaps people who don't follow politics a lot don't realise. He's, he's actually quite useless at it. Um, and you really see bad politicians, uh, and, and when I talk about bad politicians, I mean in terms of the game and how it's played and... Yes. being able to get wins and generally bad politicians are bad leaders of the opposition you know like i don't think kim beasley was all that fantastic politician he wasn't a, a very good leader of the opposition he, i think he would have been much better as a prime minister uh, yeah. that he was as leader of as the opposition Abba, excellent politician great leader of the opposition useless prime minister um yeah. And we can see with Turnbull, even with this whole thing about nominating Rudd to be UN Secretary General, is just 
in the way the decision is made, it has made him look weak. Um, and we haven't even had Parliament sitting yet. And it's whether or not you actually think Rudd should be UN Secretary General, and I, I personally don't think he would be a very good one. The fact that you've got a former Prime Minister who has certainly got the experience and, and qualifications to at least run for the office, yeah. saying he, he's after a nomination... All the government has to do is say, yep, you basically support him. How hard your support is, you know, you could mm-hmm. you do the, the bare minimum to save face. But in the end, no one I don't think is really expecting, was expecting him to win anyway. Um, yeah. But in, but in, and you had this situation where Julie Bishop, who was the foreign minister, so really has got carriage over this whole thing because it involves the UN saying that Rudd's, you know, qualified and, and fine. And then you've got Turnbull coming out mm-hmm. saying, well, the reason I made the decision is I don't think he's qualified for the job and, you know, wouldn't be good. It's suddenly you've, on a matter of foreign policy, however minor, you you seem to disagree with your foreign minister and everyone knows... Yeah the people who were in your party room who were against Rudd were all the hard right people on the opposite side of the party to which he was and the ones that he seems to be appeasing. And so it's it's a bit of a known goal and just lets that side, the people like, the, well, basically the Abbott supporters, know that uh, they've got a, a, a lot of hold over him. Um, and... The one thing with the right wing of, of the party is when you appease them, they never thank you for it. They never, um, you know, give you any credit. And uh, I just, I, you know, it's a big call to say he's going to get dumped. But when you've got a small minority, um, both sides have now dumped prime ministers. The first yep. time's always the hardest. Um, <laughs> yeah. <you know, laughs> Uh, they've all sort of uh, they've gotten used to it now, um, and it's just it's going. Everyone knows it's going to be there, um, hovering in the background of yeah. uh, you know, especially when you, as he did, he took over because of the polls. He even Turnbull even said the reason he was taking over was because yeah. of the consecutive number of news polls that they've been behind, and. We knew from um, interviews Abbott gave and op-eds that he wrote for the, uh, I think, The Spectator, where he basically said that, you know, he believed he would have won the election. And this was before the election was held. So this was, you know, six mm-hmm. months ago or so, which was essentially letting uh, Turnbull know that if he had any sort of belief that his winning an election would give him a mandate over the party to forget it, they weren't going to give him any credit for just winning um, it was going to have to be a big win, and yes. not only was it not a big win, it was barely even a win. And the way in which the the whole election was set up has has been deemed to a failure because he's ended up with the worst Senate um, and a, a, a much smaller majority. In fact, hardly any majority at all. So. It's very hard to suggest that he is one on any of the KPIs that he himself set up for it. So um, 
it's something he's got three years in which uh, he's forever going to have to be worried about uh, how he's how he's looking in the polls, which is something that really a, a PM doesn't want to have to worry about because generally, and people often forget this, is that quite often governments are behind in the polls. Howard was often behind in the polls. Yes. And you just sort of you shrug your shoulder and you just, well, that we're in the government, we're doing things that generally will be unpopular and you, you just keep going with it but now we're in such a mindset where you just feel like uh the party is so riven with with um divisions that uh it's always going to be an ever-present story whenever any journo really doesn't have much to write about one week they'll, sure. they'll just go trawling for, for for off the record quotes and there'll be someone who'll give them something that can be made into something um, and that's before the conservative right start their agenda, you know, to want to unseat him anyway. Yeah, and it will be also interesting how the um, the same sex marriage plebiscite goes. Oh, that's going to yes. be a big one. I mean, I if, if God forbid that that actually fails, that to me would be that that would have to signal his his end. Really, it kind of would be like David Cameron and Brexit, really. If it gets voted down, um, the public yep. vote um, in favour of the traditional um, sense of marriage. Sense yes. of marriage that really, um, I think, it really would suggest that he's. Uh, I think his position is basically untenable because it was his policy to have the plebiscite, and you don't ever hold a plebiscite. Um, He's not coming from a position like John Howard was, where you knew he was he was running the referendum in the hopes of losing it, really, and kind of being dragged to it. He he wants it to win. He wants it to pass. He's yep. you know he's demonstrated that he's uh, had to agree to the right wing who want a plebiscite so it will lose. So he's in this just horrible position. So. He kind. Of, I think he kind of needs a win there to at least be able to show that you know, you the right wing for a start are um, not uh, in step with um, the majority view and of the, of the voters. And I just yeah. think if 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 you're a, you're a um, prime minister and the plebiscite that you put forward and that you support if that loses it's just it really doesn't <laughs> go well for you it, it really reflects that your your views and have have little weight with the public and that that's not something any prime minister really can can deal with well he's caught in a hell of a pickle isn't he between the plebiscite him wanting it to get up the conservative right wanting to control him and him basically regurgitating their policies anyway just to have maintained power in the party anyhow. It's kind of a, a ludicrous situation. One thing is for sure is that because of the outcome of this election, he's basically made, guaranteed that the, the Liberal National Party coalition are going to be the healthiest they've been for the longest time because no one can afford to be sick. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've um, chatted with some ALP um, advisors and, you know, because... Uh, during the the Gillard minority parliament, I mean, the Liberal Party were utter pricks, really. 
um, on the issue. Yeah, of, they never gave pairs, did they? Yeah, they, 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 you know, people would have a wedding or something, you know, even a, a birth, and yeah. they would be dragged. They they would pretty much deny it until they were forced to through media coverage that made it look terrible. Really, but that was it. Yeah. It was really every, nothing was ever given easily, and but I would. I'd be surprised if the ALP take that route. I think they, they don't want to be seen as being um, as shitty as <laughs> the Liberal Party was. <laughs> um, but that said, you know, I think it's it's uh, you're not going to get any easy ones. If if, if the Labor yeah. Party ever see a an opportunity where they can go, oh, what, you've got a lunch or something like that, <laughs> they're going to yeah. say, no, you turn up and go to work. Um, so... It, it does mean that, um, yes, they do all have to be healthy. They all, you know, you don't really want anyone to to have to take a leave of absence, which which does happen every now and then due to health yeah. issues. Um, it I makes... mean, Barnaby Joyce's face is going to explode <laughs> at some point. And it also means that uh, they, they do have to worry about crossing the floor. I mean, I... Crossing the floor for the Liberal Party is, is more talked about than done. But the yeah. problem now is the talk about it actually carries some weight because in the past they could talk about, and even if they do it well, it's just a little bit of poor negative publicity that perhaps you could make into something bigger if you wanted to in the media. But most people didn't care because the bill passed. But now it actually, yeah. that threat actually has some weight. And so you're going to get. People like you know George Christensen and oh, you know these yes. these people Shut are up. going to keep threatening it, and maybe it's always a hollow threat, but it's always going to be there, and they're going to be able to get mileage out of it. And yes. as soon as the government is having to talk about internal politics rather than the actual thing that they're trying to do, that's that's when you start struggling because you're talking about stuff that people don't give a shit about. The people think you should have this sorted. You're the government. Why are we continually hearing about what you know all this internal stuff? And they think you're you're more worried about that than my life. And it's it's makes for a re- it's going to be really tough. And I and this is where not being a good politician I think is going to hurt because Gillard was a very good politician in terms of doing the political number crunching and getting bodies across the line to ensure bills got passed um, in a way that uh, Kevin Rudd was less good at. I mean, he couldn't even get, you know, his uh, ETS passed when he had a solid majority and and had, if he'd been able to get the Greens on side and he kind of gambled that he didn't need to and it all went to shit. Um, Whereas I don't know how good Malcolm Turnbull is going to be at you know, playing musical chairs and making sure when the music stops that everyone's where they should be. Um, and the Senate, I mean, who the hell knows? It, it's just a... I mean, really, you know... Just, how, how many crossbenchers are there now? Is uh, it, it's like double digits. I can't remember whether it was nine or ten, but basically my... my Too many is what it is. Yeah, my last, last time I looked... Um, for them to get anything passed, and assuming Labor and the Greens are voting against 
against it, which isn't always the case, but on, on anything no, that's controversial right. it will be. Um, yeah. They will need every crossbencher, I think. Gosh. And so that means sitting down with Darren Hinch, Nick Xenophon, and oh, Jackie Hansen. Lambie and Pauline Hansen in a room saying, okay, let's all agree on something. What do you and, want? Yeah. yeah. What a madness. I mean, it's... That's ludicrous. You know, um, it's all right when you've got it, you know, you've maybe got to get two out of three odd people to agree to something, but when you have to get nine and they across the entire spectrum um and you've got someone like uh nick xenophon who is actually able to use the senate in kind of the way it was originally devised as being the state's house he's going to be very um careful about anything that he would see as hurting south australia um, yeah, Adelaide's going to get way more submarines. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, this, this, I mean, this has happened in the past. Brian Harradine, when he held the balance mm. of power, he was getting all kinds of crap for Tasmania, um, stuff that, you know, did nothing but brought in some money and, you know, it, it's just going to be, I'd, yeah, God, I, I really wonder especially when you then hear scott morrison uh talking tough again about you know his budget's going to include more welfare cuts and things like that and you just oh. think jeez i i, I yeah. can't see how they would thread the needle i don't think uh i don't think they have the ability to do it either yeah it's look uh, greg if i can get you to put your uh visionary uh, turban on Let's assume that there is a challenge. Who is the heir that would be presented to run against Turnbull within the, the Liberal National Party? Oh, God, you know. Parties. It's it's so hard because, you know, eight months ago or, or even before Turnbull took over, you would have thought, oh, I'd be Morrison. He's, he's the next one. But he's been pretty useless, in my opinion, as treasurer. And certainly he's... I don't think he's uh, shone, and during the election campaign, he was really bad. Yeah. Um, it won't be Dutton. It won't be Pine. Bishop is the perennial. I mean, deputy. Bishop's Bishop's there, but you know, the there's if they're going to go for someone opposite, you're going to have people looking at <laughs> bizarrely Tony Abbott. I mean, he's there. We're not going to see the resuscitation of Tony Abbott because then we have the Abbott-Turnbull-Abbott years. Yeah, but, you know, never underestimate the stupidity of, of political parties, I think, is <laughs> is the one thing we've learned from the last six years is uh, if you think something is too stupid to contemplate, there are people contemplating it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it couldn't be Dutton. It couldn't be... Um, yeah, I mean, on the Labor side, it's pretty easy. You've got Tanya Plibersek or Chris Bowen, and that's pretty much, you know, or, or Albo, you know. So yeah. there's three where you can think, okay, it could be any one of those three. Whereas you almost wonder if on the Liberal side they might just have to go to Bishop because she can kind of straddle the two groups perhaps. Um, mm, you know, gosh. I can't see... I mean, it, it would just... Scott Morrison has... Um, as as treasurer for him to to contemplate challenging it would have to get it would be bloody ugly um and i don't know if i don't think he's got any of the the real support 
to be able to carry off such a very, um, very messy um, coup, essentially, what it would be, because it, it really yeah. would be um, it not even sort of Turnbull in, in any sense, you know, sort of passing over and saying, yeah, I'm stuffed. <laughs> Someone else, it really would, um, which you could kind of pass off if, if Bishop got it. But, um, and from the run, God, you know, Labor would probably go to bed at night praying that they would hand it off to Dutton. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't see that. I can't, maybe, I doubt even Peter Dutton probably believes that. Um, but, yeah. I mean, that that is, in, in some ways, that, that is the um, one good thing in Turnbull's defence. There is no, apart from Abbott, who has been leader, there is no... Gosh. Real central, it's going to be is the next person in line. Um, you know, there's no Peter Costello in, in the party at the moment. Um, yeah. No one from Victoria, for example, who looks like they could marshal the numbers. Um, no one, you know, in Sydney, it's, it's New South Wales, Liberal Party in Sydney didn't have a good election. They didn't even have a good election really in 2013 either. Um, no. they, they should have won better than they did in 2010 was the same. You know, they, they, they're not, uh, you know, they certainly have got the numbers, but they're, they're a fairly disorganized, awful bunch of, you know, warring factions. So, um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I really couldn't call it. I have no idea. I, I suspected that Morrison certainly has ambitions to that end, um, obviously, but whether I, I would suggest his performance in the past six months has really caused people in the party to to uh, to question whether he he would be good enough um, because I mean his his election was just terrible. I mean he was holding press conferences to announce a new advert and you know it, was, it just uh, unless he's talking to Ray Hadley he really kind of struggles. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When, uh, in the words of Homer Simpson, that Turnbull gets to become or remain prime minister because of two of the sweetest words in the world. <laughs> default. Yeah, and uh, to, to Turnbull's credit, I thought he was. I, I didn't know why he didn't leave Parliament back in in twenty ten. Um, I thought he was he was gone, but he yep. clearly had a a. Um, he was playing the long game and was prepared to wait for, for Abbott to be terrible and for people to realise <laughs> how terrible. I mean, we all kind of knew Abbott would be terrible, but uh, yes. I, I just couldn't see them turning back to Turnbull. I would have thought they would have gone to someone else, but he, he was there. And uh, But, you know, when you've only got a majority of one, you really can't afford too many mistakes, can't afford too many policy mistakes, can't afford too many political mistakes. And um, Well, there's your opportunity you know. for Tony Abbott, isn't it? You know, yeah. Just be sick on a day when some really critical legislation has to pass. <laughs> yeah. That would be spiteful, wouldn't it? It Gosh. would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, this is the other thing. I mean, and this is what uh, Gillard found out is that you you also, it's it, it's tough to discipline people. 
because, yep. you know, she could never really come down on Brad because he could always threaten to resign and go and actually resign from Parliament, forcing a, a by-election that Labor were a big chance to lose and then they'd lose um, government. Yep. The Liberal Party could probably afford to lose one and because the... Um, the crossbenchers, for the most part, will support them, you know, Bob Catter and, and so forth. But um, it really does limit your ability to tell people, you know, to really keep people in line, um, especially yeah. when they've already found that uh, all they have to do is start making noises and and uh, Turnbull will kind of uh, respond and, and do what they wish, you know, and... Yeah, when you've got you know, people like Corey Bernardi being seen to be setting the agenda with things like the, the Rudd decision, even though obviously he's not setting, but he's able to portray himself as, you know, he's doing what we want him to do. That's just really bad start for him. Greg, he's doing the Lord's work. <laughs> um, I don't even want to start on that. That's a whole other uh, thing. This has been the wonkiest... Uh, humans of Twitter, I think I've ever had, and it's been delightful. Greg, I have a couple more questions, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, God. Um, well, hopefully I keep... Uh, my main achievement is to keep getting paid for what I'm doing, um, <laughs> which is, uh, is always a struggle when, when you work in the media. Um, uh, the ABC axing the, the drum website was was uh, mm. certainly not something that I um, was welcoming. No. What's that, sorry? And a lot of other fine writers that that's affected. Yeah, and it's, it is a shame. I mean, it's one of those things where people, I know, you know, sort of uh, cool people on Twitter, including myself at times, you know, love to mock mm. all the comments on the drum website of these people, but they would get a lot of comments and there were a lot of people who went there to debate and to talk and, and chat and now that's not there. Um, so God help yeah. them, you know, there'd be some of them going to news limited websites where the conversation is much more rank. Um, well, Andrew Bolt's blog always has a wealth of comments to discuss. <laughs> it does. Um, yeah, so I... My... Um, I mean, I actually did read the drum quite a lot. I thought I, I would have liked perhaps a, a, a bit more wider range of voices, perhaps. But there was always some good stuff there, um, and now um, that's not there. And you know, people say, "Oh, yeah," but there's other websites like Guardian, for example. But the drum did um, publish people who didn't get a voice elsewhere, and also published the kind some non sort of commercially type articles and op-eds that didn't always drive all the clicks but it was good that they were written um which is what a get one out of a national broadcaster so yeah for the next 12 months yeah just to keep um being employed would be nice um i always um i mean my aim is always just to hopefully keep writing things that people are more informed of the issue after reading it um and that's pretty much uh, all i'm all i'm about so you know 
hopefully in 12 months time people who have been reading my my stuff uh know more about the things that i've been writing about than they did beforehand um i don't have any sort of grandiose plans of hopefully i can bring down the government or anything like that <laughs> um um but uh I, i'm always uh hopeful that um government ministers, especially treasurers and finance ministers, keep saying stupid things uh, to give me things to write about. That's always nice. So, um, But, yeah, I, I just uh, hopefully can keep keep uh, churning out some, some stuff of value, really. That's, that's my only aim. I think we can all be united in saying we look forward to the Jericho Spring. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. I'd be... <laughs> I would be a terrible government, and uh, I would, <laughs> because I'd probably I'd, I'd go in all enthused, and after a week I'd say, "God, this is crap." I'm just <laughs> handed over to whoever was closest and said, "Yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> <laughs> hey, Greg. Yes. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you very much, Steve. Very clearly, you are a tweeting person. Are there other social accounts you would want people to know about? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I mean, I've got a Facebook um, page that uh, is my public Facebook page, right? But but uh, that's really you'd only follow if you weren't on Twitter at all, because pretty much I just tweet links to my articles there. There's there's not really much going on. Um, Twitter's yep. pretty much where I'm at. I don't. I don't even know how to work Snapchat yet. I've sort of got it there and I know how to, to do the different lenses and everything, but I don't even think I've, I've ever actually sent a snap. Um, and I don't have an Instagram. So, um, yeah, Twitter's uh, um, where you can see me and, and more importantly where you can talk to me if uh, you actually do want to uh, interact um, anywhere else. Um pretty much you're just going to be seeing me posting and not uh, not talking. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Grog's Gamut is indeed human. <laughs> yep, there's the scoop. <laughs> Breaking, you heard it here first. <laughs>